You might have had a moment like this. For me, I think I was in high school. You bring that special someone home, you know, that girl, that guy that you've been dating for a little while. You want to meet the parents, right? And so you bring them home, and then mom does the inevitable thing. She breaks out the photo album from when you were two years old, and she wants to show your girlfriend like the picture of you taking a bath with your cousin. And you're like, dude, mom, come on. And then we get so embarrassed. And isn't it funny how embarrassed we get about that? Because here's the thing. Every one of you has a picture of you when you were two years old taking a bath with your cousin. Like we all have that picture. We get so embarrassed about that stuff. It's normal stuff. But here's the thing. We're very self-conscious about our image, about our identity. And there are some things in our lives that are not so normal. I've told this story before. Maybe you haven't heard it. Uh, For me, it was the eye patch. I was the eye patch kid. Uh, when I was in school, I had a lazy eye, the muscles in my eye didn't work right, and so the doctors were like, no, let's, let's really boost this kid's self-esteem. Let's put an eye patch on him for like two and a half years. And so I did that, and you know, like dressing like a pirate in, uh, in elementary school is really cool on like dress like a pirate day. We never had dressed like a pirate day. I was just the one kid with the eye patch all the time, and uh, you know, I'm over it now, I'm good, I promise, I've worked through it. But, but you know, as a kid, you, you work hard to try to not be different. And it's hard because something inside of us, we want to be accepted. And we want to have this, I don't know, this cool factor or this thing about us that makes us happy about who we are. It's our identity. Self-esteem is a big deal. If you look at the world around us, we learned that people's self-esteem is something that we struggle with. I found a website this week called selfesteemschool.com. It's a site that promotes good self-esteem. It's actually got some pretty good materials and some counseling stuff that's helpful, but uh, the site gives some statistics that were pretty alarming. I don't know where he got all of them, and so like with any statistics, there's variables, but listen to this. If it's even close to true, 85% of the world's population is affected by low self-esteem. In one study, 80% of females have a negative body image because of negative comments they've heard about their body through their life. 80%. Low self-esteem is considered the universal common denominator among all people suffering with substance abuse addiction alcoholism or some other substance abuse because of something in their life they're trying to work out and decide something about their identity or their, their, their self-esteem. Uh, uh, some reports say that worldwide there are more deaths by suicide than by homicide and war. And again, these, there may be some play in, in those statistics, but if they're even close to being true, that just tells us something about the world we live in and the way that we have a hard time finding ourself, finding our identity when we have a, a poor view of ourselves, it leads to a poor view of the world around us. We're in this teaching series called The Grass is Greener, Discovering the Secret to Contentment. And each week our goal is to kind of look at a different facet of our life that we struggle to find contentment in, uh, satisfaction or whatever words you want to fill in the blank with. And today we're going to hit on something that is near and dear to the heart of God. And it is our identity. Who we are. How we see ourselves. How we believe the world around us sees us. Uh, and, And identity is a really big deal to us. This question of who am I? Who am I? Like, what makes me who I am? We find our identity in so many different things. Uh, So many of us find our identity in our occupation. A lot of us find our identity in our education. I'm so smart. Or, oh, I'm so dumb. I didn't get the education other people got. You see that? We find our occupation of parents. A lot of us find our occupation, I mean, our our identity in uh, the things we do for our kids. Like, if I'm not taking somebody to school in a minivan or washing somebody's socks, like, who am I? I don't even know, right? And it's just so much of, of who we are. Some of us see our identity in our faults. Some of us, you know, we've made so many mistakes, and that's who I am. I'm just a screw up. 
And that's, everyone says that about me anyway, so I might as well believe it. Here's one. A lot of us find our identity in the way we look, like our sense of style. And if there's a hair out of place or we've got like a shoe that's out of fashion, I don't even know who I am. Right? Can we put so much stock in that? Identity is a big thing, and it leads to some distorted thinking. Like, here's the distorted thinking. If I find my identity in my occupation, what happens if I lose my job? Who am I? Do I even matter? Or what if you hate your job? I found my identity in what I do for a living, and I hate it. I hate myself. If we find our identity in parenting, you know, it's like, well, what happens when our kids grow up? Because guess what? They all do. That's kind of what they do. They all grow up. So then what do I do with my life? We find our identity in our self-image. Here's a crazy part of our thinking. Are we even someone or are we just in a costume putting on a play, trying to be someone that we're not? So identity is huge, and finding a contentment in that is something that is really valuable to God. And here's why. A distorted view of our identity can lead to a distorted view about the way we see the world around us, and more importantly, a distorted view about how we view God. Because if this is the God who made me like this, or I don't need God, because I got everything I need. And it's that distortion that I want to step into this morning, that tension, and see where we can land and find a place where, as a people, not only uh, can you maybe wrestle with some of this stuff in your own life, but you can be available for someone else in your life who's dealing with this and have some tools to share with them, because I think it's powerful. We're going to look to the Bible this morning. We always look to the Bible for God's most important truths. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and crack it open. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians today. Uh, Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, we got free ones. We give away every week. We would love to have to buy more Bibles because we gave them all away. And so over here on this show, We've got uh, some some Bibles you're welcome to go get right now or grab one as you leave. Look on your phone if you want to for a Bible, and also the screens beside me will have it. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. A little background on what Ephesians is. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and uh, it's it's a city, a very large city in his day, a a metropolis-type area and a crossroads of the world uh, in many ways on the western coast of what is modern-day Turkey. And so Ephesus is still there today in in, in different ways. It's it's grown and evolved through the centuries. He writes to a church in Ephesus, and he tells them so many things. And as he opens up this letter, one thing he really wants to help them zoom in on, nail down, is how God sees them, their identity. And he wants them to know this. So what we're going to do is read through uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, a handful of verses. And I think in this passage, we're going to find three really good identifiers that when we know how God looks at us, we can begin to respond accordingly. And so I'm just going to jump right in. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, and find this first one. Okay, here we go. Paul says this to the Ephesians. Praise be to God. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So much packed in there. I said we're going to be looking for three identifiers, and the first one comes out of this section, and I'm just going to give it to you. The first one is this. When we look at how we identify ourselves, I want us to know this. God chooses you. God chooses you. 
Now, maybe you see the word God chose you, and you think about that, and you've been in church before, and you've heard that before. I wanted to sink in with a new vigor this morning, because it's, it's crazy uh, when we think about the idea of choosing someone. Love is a really interesting emotion, or if you want to call it that, that, that we, we live out, because love is very much a choice. There's infatuation, there's lust, there's like, and especially when you're in like middle school, the difference between love and like is very important, Right? But love is something that really revolves around this word, choice. So much in our life, we have to look at someone and go, I want to punch you in the throat, but I love you anyway. You know what I mean? The biggest love in our lives are the ones where we have to stand on the edge of love and get rid of it, and we choose to continue going. It's about sacrifice. And here's what I want us to know about God choosing us when it comes to our identity this morning. God chose us. He chose us knowing exactly what we were going to be like. Did you see that? It said he chose us before the beginning of time. So I know that it's not how good I am that allows God to love me. He chose me before I had all my mess-ups and mistakes and baggage and background. He knows all that. He knows all about you. He, he, and look at Romans chapter 5. Paul wrote this also to the church at Rome. He takes it a step further. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us. I love that. Show me, show me, show me, God, show me this. He goes, okay, I'll demonstrate my love for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He, he knows everything in your background. Sometimes we try to hide stuff from God. Like when I was a kid, they were like, don't run in church. God was like, I know you're running in church, even if your mama didn't see you. Like they, they, God sees everything that we do. What John encourages us to do in the Gospel of John is that we drag our mess into the light. And so we said, God, look, I know that you see me anyway. Can I get in your light and let the glory of your light purge the mold of my darkness? He, he, know, he, chose, he chose us. Now, here's the thing about this. That is done. God already chose you. The place where kind of our faith steps in is that we get the opportunity to choose him back. We'll talk about that more in just a second, but did you ever have one of those little puppy love crushes, like in elementary school, middle school, maybe as an adult, maybe you're like 36, and you're like, I still, like, Zach Efron has got it going on, and like, I still think he might call me someday, like, I don't know, but whatever it is, uh, we have these, like, one-way crushes, but it's not reciprocated, um, that, it doesn't work out. I'm sorry, you know, you're never going to have a family in a picket fence with that person, because they, they don't love you back. The thing about love is it's got to go both ways when it comes to choosing. And here's the thing, the same thing's true with God. And he already made the choice, and he already demonstrated, and he's standing there with his hand out going, you ready? And he's asking for us to step in. And throughout our life, we have that opportunity to step in and out of that, don't we? Some of you have been in a position where you're like, you know, I stepped out of that for a long time. In fact, maybe this is your first time back in church in a long time. And God's standing here like, I was hoping you'd come back. God chooses you. And beyond all else, we've got to know that's got to be the foundation for our identity, how we see ourselves. And it doesn't matter what the world around us sees us as. Uh, moving on. Okay, I said there are three. We're going to get in verse 7. Verse 7 says this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and all understanding. But let's, let's, let's see the second point, and then let's explain it. The second point is this. God redeemed me. God chooses me, and he redeemed me. What in the world does that mean? Uh, redemption is an interesting concept. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I did something that we have been wanting to do for seven years. We, seven years ago, moved on a path that brought us to Wilmington to start Venture Church, and we owned a house in Greenville, North Carolina. And when we left Greenville, North Carolina, 
we left it in the hand of some wonderful tenants. I became a landlord. And for seven years, I've been a landlord. You know what landlord means? It's another word for slavery. Um, anytime something goes wrong at the house, I'm like, hey, yeah, the shingles blew off in a hurricane. Peace. And you're like, I don't live in Greenville. And so now what I got? I got to take care of it. And you got to take care of the house. It's your responsibility now. Another interesting thing about this, this is interesting. Um, so in 2006, my wife and I went to a bank and we took out a loan to buy this house. And we were hoping tenants would continue to help us pay the mortgage, right? But guess what? Sometimes tenants call and they're like, yep, it's not going to happen. <laughs> not paying rent this month, sucker. And guess, guess what the bank does? They're like, you know what? It's no big deal. You just get to me when you can. No, man. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, we still want that every single month. We took out a loan and we made a promise to the bank. We are indebted to you. We will pay you every month until the debt is paid off. And if they didn't pay the rent, we had to evict two tenants. That's a lot of fun. Man, redemption happens when it was early April and we signed some papers and a nice lady in Greenville is the proud new owner of our house that we used to own in Greenville. And she's, yeah, praise God. Um, here's the deal. Redemption is an accounting term. Redemption is to pay the cost for something. Maybe you've redeemed a coupon or something. And when it comes to God, we have sin in our lives. And that's a whole big thing, and it's a deep theological concept. And maybe you want to talk more about sin. I would love to, I would love to talk more about that if you, if you have some thoughts or questions about it. But the deal is, when we sin, it puts our soul in a status where we're not compatible with God's holy presence. And the only way to be made right with God is to have that sin paid for. And guess what? Our bank accounts aren't big enough. Our pockets aren't deep enough. And the penalty for sin is death. That's why humans die. It's why we die. When you're at a funeral and you're like, why do people have to die? It's because when sin encountered our perfect souls that God created in the very beginning, it put us in a status where we don't live eternally in the form that we're born into. We're born innocent. But throughout life, we accumulate this thing that separates us from God. And here's the deal. Jesus comes in and says, hey, I paid that debt. I want you to understand, when God chose you and he redeemed you, both of these statuses are in the past tense. Jesus has already done it. He's paid the price. We had Easter last week. A lot of us were here for that. Maybe that, and that's, that's kind of what Easter is all about. He pay, here's the deal, though. He's standing there with the receipt, and he's going, you want it? I paid the price. You want to accept it? When it comes to our identity, we've got to know that God has a plan for our life, and he has paid off our debt, and he's put us in a status. There's a couple of things that we can learn about that. And first of all is this. When we come to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us we are a new creation. And so no matter what it was that you identified yourself as before you come into Christ, you've got to know God rewrites the narrative. He comes in and says, you are a new creation. I'm starting you all over. Fresh slate. What about if I've messed up since I accepted Christ? Oh, grace every day. And he comes in and says, all right, whew, that, was, that was a doozy. I'll be honest, Chris, uh, but I've seen worse. Let's start again. That's how grace works. There's a passage in the book of Revelation. I don't know how much you've read Revelation. It's one that we tend to like veer away from. Don't veer away. Just dive in and get confused and read books. It's awesome. Okay, Revelation chapter, oh, I didn't write the reference down. Yes, chapter 2, verse 17. This is something it says about, uh, about this whole new creation thing. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who was victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Or wouldn't you want to study all that, get into it. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. If, if you want to read this the way that I'm kind of understanding, it's this, when God, when God comes into our life, he renames us. Hello, my name is New Creation. And when it comes to our identity and how we see ourselves, you got to know that God rewrites the story. And he gives you a, a clean slate and a fresh name. And then it's from that place that we can claim who we are and move on. God chooses you. God has redeemed you. And, and the third one, let's just read the passage, starting at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. A lot of stuff there. I totally encourage you to Draw a square around that in your Bible, highlight it, whatever you need to do, and go back and read through it again. But here's the deal. We, we have been chosen. We have been redeemed. And then God has an offer for us. If we choose to, to take his hand, if we choose to accept that receipt, he says, here's what I want to do. And this is the third, the third identifier for you. God chooses to move in with you. He moves right in to your life. Before Jesus left the earth, he made a promise. He promised that he would be sending a helper. You can read it about in Acts chapter one. And that that helper was gonna come alongside us. That helper has a lot of different names. He's called the advocate, a comforter, uh, the teacher, a tutor, a guide. We know him best as the Holy Spirit. This is God's spirit that comes and resides alongside of our soul, our dirty, messed up, confused soul. And he comes and he says, listen, I'm gonna move in and I'm gonna help you out as we get in here. One of the greatest gifts that God has ever given, possibly the greatest gift he gives us, is his presence in our daily lives through his Holy Spirit. It's amazing. In in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, we see Peter preaching the first sermon to the first church on the very first day of church, and the Holy Spirit has showed up. It's a really cool story. Read Acts chapter 2. It's a really good story. And as he's sitting there and he's, he's preaching, the people are like, hey, how do we get right with God? And he said, you should repent of your sins. That means turn back to God. You should turn back to God. He said, you should be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit moves into our life when we accept him. It's his spirit interacting with ours, teaching us, guiding us, standing in the gap between us and God, helping to communicate for us, leading us to truth. A lot of times people come to God and they're like, I don't know, I don't know a lot about the Bible. I don't know a lot about truth. And, and, and it sounds a little mystical and crazy if you're outside of that sphere and people are like, listen, you need to trust the spirit. People are like, uh, I try not to do spirits. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's strange. But here's the thing, and, and you can take my word for it, but don't just take my word for it. Talk to so many other people in this room who have experienced their life that as we lean into God, as we trust him, if we get into his word, man, his spirit comes along and it nurtures our brains in such a way that we begin to see truth. He doesn't leave us hanging. He steps right into our life. He moves in with us and he says, listen, whatever's going on in your life, I can help you make sense of that. And there's a couple of things you need to know. That when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, the mistakes, the brokenness, the baggage that we bring in, Jesus' sacrifice wipes all that clean. 
Okay, And then the fear and the doubt and the skepticism and the confusion that we face as we look at the world and we're like, what is going on around here? He begins to fill that void by leading us to truth and putting it into some people's lives that can help guide us and giving us the Bible so that we can study and giving us peace even in the midst of the storm. And the brokenness and, and, and the weight that we carry from other stuff because we live in a crazy world and maybe you grew up in a family where you, you were physically abused or you've been treated emotionally poor or maybe you've done some poor things to your own body and you're just sitting in the mess of that, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, listen, I can heal that with time. But you gotta lean in and you gotta trust me because I'm moving in. And then your story gets added to the mountain of stories that tell the story of what it's like when Jesus moves in and gives you a new identity. A group of people who are chosen, a group of people who were redeemed, a group of people who let God move in, and then something amazing happens in our life. Last week, we kicked off this series, and we talked about that the biggest reason for our discontent uh, is not having Jesus in our life. And I totally encourage you to go back to our podcast, listen to that, that lesson, because it lays a foundation for this whole contentment idea. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When he's in my life, I can, I can make it. I can get through it. And when God moves in, it's not just something so that we can like leave a legacy or something that our kids can be proud of. It's not just surface level stuff. I mean, that's good stuff, but he moves in soul deep and he begins a renovation process. And he comes in bringing gifts, like abilities that you, you may not have been able to to do before God's spirit moved into your life, giving you the ability to maybe stand in front of a group of people and share the message or come into someone's life and just, and just bring them peace and hope as you come and, and all these different things that come into our life. He brings that, he brings, uh, he, he brings uh, clarity as we read through scripture. As I said, he leads us to truth. And on the other side of that, when we look at our own identity, we're like, you know what? I'm not so sure that I'm defined by what I'm wearing or what my job is what my education is or what my failures are or what my successes are, I'm defined by this name tag that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, put on my chest. And when I forget that, I can look down and remember. With that knowledge as, as kind of like the battery power, I want to give us a challenge. First of all, you may be in a place today where you're just checking out church. You're here with a friend. It's the week after Easter, and uh, you're like, you know what? I'm going to give it a second try. I want you to know, guys, the kingdom of God is so ready to kind of just accept you in and give you a safe haven to, to rest, to grow, to learn. Bring, bring all your mess. Bring all your questions and your doubts and your fears. Do that. We want to be a church family where you can do that. And know this, this is for you in, in the future potentially, and also for those of you who and me in this room who have already accepted the, the gift, <laughs> and we've let him move in, this is it. And when we talk about identity, our identity in many ways determines our activity. I've said this before, our identity determines our activity. Think about it, the way that you view yourself is gonna largely determine how you wake up in the morning and how you conduct business. It's gonna, it's gonna determine how I get dressed in the morning. It's gonna determine how happy I, happy I am at work. It's gonna determine how I treat people. Your identity, it informs 
your activity. And when God moves in, he gives us the ability to do something that we couldn't do on our own. The way that the Bible phrases it is he says that we bear fruit. Our life begins to be like a plant that bears fruit. I want to read you some words from Jesus. This is Matthew 7, starting in verse 16. He said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I'm sure the audience there, ha, 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 Jesus, that was a good one. No, of course not. You don't pick apples from orange trees. It just doesn't, doesn't work. Verse 17, he says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Actually, more accurately, a lot of times bad trees don't bear any fruit. They're just dead. Or maybe it's just rotten. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them. And this is Jesus giving a teaching on like what it should look like when he moves into our life. The world needs to look at us and not go, oh, you're that high school teacher. You're that, it happens to me all the time. You're, oh, I, I, literally, I met a guy Friday. He's like, ah, you're the Dallas Cowboys fan. That's what he knew about me. I wore a Cowboys hat all the time. And they were like, you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. That's what he knew about me. They look at you and be like, oh yeah, you are the druggie. You're the loser. You're the black sheep of the family. Oh, you're the business owner. You're the rich guy. You're the rich lady. Oh, you're the person who wears a lot of makeup. You're the person who probably should put on a little makeup. Like, whatever. Like, we, we, I did, but when the world looks at us and we have let God move in, this amazing thing happens. And, and I know people like this. Whew, that person is just a loving person. That person will give you the shirt off of their back. That person is always available and always reliable. You see what I'm saying? By your fruit, they will recognize you. God promises that when he moves in, he says there's this thing that, that, that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about this last summer, nine weeks of it. So you can go back and catch up on our, on our teaching podcast. But this list says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's a great list. Self-control, that's a really important one. Love, I feel like we've got you know, some good, easy way to, to do love in the world. All the stuff in between, it's, it's a process. But here's the thing. You can trust that when Jesus is in your life and when the Holy Spirit moves in, he will start to help develop that fruit. The question is just like taking the hand, taking the receipt. Are we going to lean into that? Are we going to continue to walk the walk of the flesh, which many times is the opposite of all those things? And this is our challenge. Let's bear good fruit. I wrote that down this, this, uh, this week, and I was like, that just doesn't seem like a strong enough conclusion. And I wrestled with it. And I wrestled with it, and I was like, I don't, that's what Jesus said we should do. How am I going to try to one-up Jesus? You should bear good fruit. And every week when we leave church, I close with the phrase, let's go from here and shine light in dark places. And what that means is go into people's lives and let them see the fruit that God has moved in. How do you see yourself? Are you content with who you are, where you are, the house you live in, the stuff you have? We're going to talk about some of those other details in the next two weeks as we continue in this series. But really finding contentment and being content in my own skin, so to speak, is about saying, man, when God moves in, he makes me new. And that's the message that this world needs to hear. And that's the message maybe you need to hear this, this morning when you look into the mirror.
God chose you. God redeemed you. And if I'm willing to accept that, God moves in. Let's pray.